Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, the Simple Stakeholder Decision Analysis Tool. Decision-making, now if you've been with us long enough, you know that decision-making is more than just choosing, but decision-making is a core part of our jobs as managers. But once again, there's not a lot of training or development on it. Everyone hates learning it on their own, but then they visit that same strategy on their directs. Well, that's kind of silly. So today, we're going to learn how to make effective decisions, and we're going to give you a tool to help you do it. Here we go. Well, today I think we're going to continue our conversation on or series on decision making. And I know you've seen this as well, but stakeholder analysis, which right. is what we're going to talk about today, doesn't seem to get used very much. And it's, oh, yeah. totally. and it's silly because it's, it's really easy and it improves effectiveness incredibly. Yeah. Look, if nothing else, it just keeps you from getting bit. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. You just identify in advance when a customer or a downline person in an organization suddenly has a problem with your with something you put out and and somebody says to you, dude, if you'd asked me, I'd have told you that, right? Right. Yeah, and, and maybe that's reason enough to pay attention to this cast, right? Which is just to avoid being bit because it can be it can be pretty painful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we, we, we want to be we don't want to be Novocaine. We want to be preventative, right? So. <laughs> For junior managers who aren't yet versed in the political activities at higher levels, this is a tool that'll expose you to the thought processes around those things before you make a mistake. And unfortunately, when you make a decision, look, people assume that you make a decision that makes sense to you, right? Um, it, it's certainly an ethical thing to make a decision that's painful for you. And particularly if it benefits somebody else. But most of the time, people assume the, ben- the decision you're making benefits you. If it then hurts somebody else, by definition, that's a political gaffe. Um, you, you may, in fact, have the power to do that, but you're not certainly building any bridges or any relationships. So the idea here is let's do the analysis in advance. If we're going to have a potential issue, let's at least consider possible options, right? And, and as you were saying before we started, uh, recording. I mean, we could do 10 more casts easily on how to prepare for how to, you know, all the stuff around pre-wire and then how to mitigate after the fact when a political decision, which is a decision that affects someone else, which is to say all decisions goes awry. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because, because what we're going to talk about today is merely an, an introduction to the subject. There's right. just a lot more. Okay. So, so the question is, as, as always here, right, which is how, how do we, how do we do that? Right. Simple. Um, four, four steps in this cast. There'll be people who will love to hear that. First, we'll talk about why, because decisions are political. Then we're going to talk about what we're just going to tell you what we're going to talk about, which is considering other stakeholders, impacts and opinions in your decisions, since your decisions affect them. Step three is the how of it, which is to use our uh, manager tools, simple stakeholder decision analysis tool, which is, which is super simple. I mean, it's just so easy. And we're going to teach you how to create the tool, which is a chart, how to fill in the tool. There are three different ways to do that. And then also 
that recommend that you consider numericizing it in terms of making it, uh, making it a little bit more objective. Um, you don't need to do that, but we find over and over again that it works very, very well. Um, and then lastly, a bonus, which is if you're doing it, then if your directs are going to be in your role someday, and let's hope that they are, that you demand this kind of thinking and analysis in advance from your directs when they make recommendations and decisions, when they make re- recommendations to you and when they make decisions as well. That'll keep you out of hot water. Good. Okay. So let's, let's start off with uh, point number one. It's a good place to start. I'm continually amazed at the number of folks who <laughs> think that, that decisions, you know, the process of reaching decisions at the top are political, yet at the bottom, they, they think they're, they're simply, you know, collaborating, right? <laughs> right. Like it or not, large organizations are led and managed and run based on politics at least in part, it, you know, look, if you don't like politics, we, we understand that we, we respect that you have an issue with them. Um, I think that's probably defining the word very narrowly around the negative part of politics, but the fact that we respect your opinion and we do, we understand it, particularly if you're junior, particularly if you're a little bit idealistic. Um, but look, you have about as much hope of ridding your organization of politics and I would say that even if it's your organization, if you're talking about your company, if you're the owner, you have about as much hope of getting rid of the organizational politics as you do of ridding it of fear because politics are, at least in part, a behavioral response to the emotional issues around work and a bunch of other things, power and fear and so on. And as you said, we would argue that one person's politics is another person's collaboration, right? I mean, if you... If you're collaborating, if you're working through people's issues, if you're asking them to give input or consider giving, you know, you're asking them to consider giving a little bit here to get something over there, that's good. We like that. We want decisions that are well thought out and are staffed, which is a military phrase, which is to say, and actually a governmental phrase, which is said, let's ask everybody what they think about this. Let's send it around to the staff and make sure that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot or worse. Um, but as you said, what you call collaboration, working with your peers and other people at your level, um, is being called politics by the people a couple levels down. And I just think people don't get that. And they want to blame senior people for the politics when, in fact, senior people are saying, man, that's, I mean, okay, call it politicking if you want. But all I'm doing is leveraging relationships and balancing competing interests for limited resources, which is, right, isn't that the heart of what <laughs> executives do? Yeah. So, yeah, and, and a, a lot of folks, particularly, I hate to refer to DISC, but those who have listened to the DISC podcast will know what I'm talking about when we talk about high Cs, those interested in details and uh, getting it yeah. right. This is a particularly challenging for them in the sense that um, if they give anything away in terms of the correctness of the solution, yes. somehow it's not right. And, and man, you got to get over that. <laughs> yeah, we. I, I find myself a lot lately as I work with more executives, the whole issue of, of – making the perfect, the enemy, the good for particularly for those technical technology executives or, or folks who tend to be more perfectionist driven. Nothing wrong with that. We all have a little bit of that in us at all times. Some of us are neat. Some of us are not, but the whole making the perfect, the enemy, the good is that, you know, this is my idea. And I'll never forget an executive once telling me it makes sense to me. And when you say that to another executive or manager, the implication that if you were as smart as me, you'd get this is just so obvious to the recipient and it's dismissive and it's, it's relationship damaging. And, um, look, 
you are connected to every corner of your organization. Yeah, whether you realize it or not, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people, you you get very used to working with the people around you, but you don't realize that a process change. If you're part of a larger process, right? Um, you're gonna they're gonna be ripple effects. My son Travis has a saying for he and I, which is, you know, we don't want to be that guy. Um, he means the the person that everybody notices for doing something stupid or wrong or whatever. You don't want, you know, when when you notice somebody in public doing something silly, you say, I don't I don't want to be that guy. Or I don't want to be the guy who's tone deaf or what have you. And when you or your team make a decision in a vacuum, it affects others who weren't consulted. They think of you and your team the way Travis thinks about that guy. And you don't want to be that guy. So one more thing about, about politics. Whether you realize it or not, whether we, whether we like it or not, really, whether we act on this belief or not, it doesn't make it any less true that you are connected to everyone else in your organization. Uh, I it took me a long time to know that know this. I used to love the line and block charts about who reported to whom and so on. Um, but it's called an organization because it is full of li- living organisms. And I know the engineers and IT people are going what? I think, frankly, being a high C myself, I think we should call it a mechanization. Yeah, right. Yeah, we we don't call it that, do we? Because it's not mechanical. It's not a line and block chart. That's not how organizations run. It's an organism because it's a bunch of living organisms within a larger construct. And whether you want to admit it or not, you're connected to the head of the organization. Even if you're just a little toe, you're connected. Um, On the other hand, please don't send the CEO an email. She wouldn't like it. John Muir, the famous... um, naturalist um, from California, I think actually once said, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. And like it or not, you are hitched to everyone else in your organization. We recommend you consider those who are going to be affected by your decisions. And that means virtually everybody. Yes, we can't ask everybody all the time. This is not a republic. It's not a democracy. And when you make decisions, considering the, the likely impacts on other key stakeholders is simply part and parcel of growing your skills to become an effective executive, period. Yeah, exactly. And so given that decisions are political, then it only makes sense that you consider other stakeholders' impacts and opinions in your decisions. You don't stand alone. Yeah, it's a simple request. Your decisions affect others. If you don't consider the impacts uh, of your decisions, you basically increase the likelihood of what um, uh, my brother says. You increase the chances of unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as someone once said, unintended consequences are still consequences, uh, and you are still responsible for them. And usually, unfortunately, unintended consequences are expensive. And in my experience, uh, having been a junior person, and in fact having made this mistake myself, the more junior person making the recommendation generally, the greater the unintended consequences of the recommended course of action because they haven't looked at the impacts. Right. And most senior people have in their their mind, they have the process that we're going to walk through. They have it essentially baked in, right? They, I mean, they this is the way they, they think. Yeah. And the reason they have it all baked in is because they've been bit by the, the consequences so many times that they finally figured it out. This is one of those casts that, um, here, here's my take when I was writing this one. I thought to myself, okay, there are junior people who don't know this. 
And they would probably say to a senior person, hey, how come you don't use this decision analysis tool? And the senior person will probably kind of wrinkle their nose and go, well, okay, fine, you know, great, you got a new tool, haha. Um, but the fact is, the senior people do this. They learned it the hard way by making a mistake, right? The whole point of manager tools is, is we don't want you to have to learn it the way we did. We, we don't want you stumbling around when, in fact, there's an easy way to accelerate your learning. And why wait until you make a big decision with a big blind spot, a scotoma that you weren't aware of and, and tick off some senior person that then kills your initiative? So this is a way to have more junior people with less experience learn the stuff that executives learned one, two, three, four, five bad mistakes, bad decisions, bad in, bad uh, analyses in a row or over time. And that's how they got to be executives, right? Good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So this is a way to help people. Now, there are executives who would say, well, I never use that tool, but I know exactly what it's for. And they probably say, sure, I want you to, I want you to use it, but I never did. Right. The point is that's the problem with management. Nobody teaches this stuff. What we're talking about today is, is a creation designed to make the process of considering other people's inputs easy for folks to do. Do you need this tool inherently, this chart? No. Could you do it without it? Yes. Does this make it easier? Way easier. Yes. Right. And what we're talking about specifically here is what we call the manager tool, simple stakeholder decision analysis tool. It's a lot of words for something very simple. I, I really, I named it as about as poorly as something can be named. So look, here's what we're recommending, right? We recommend you create a simple chart tool. And, and this is so easy. Everybody's going to love it. In fact, we've already created it. One example, you need to know just one thing to create it. And that is how many alternative plans you're considering. Now, I suspect when I said that, you, you know, this is right, right, dude, that, that someone's like, oh, we should have more than one plan. Yeah. What, 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 <laughs> yeah. why, what, what? <laughs> um, and hopefully when you have that moment of, Ooh, I'm supposed to consider multiple plans. You will remember the old adage an idea is only dangerous if it's the only one you have. We would argue that there could be a case made for just come up with something else and staff it just to see how it might turn out, even if it's just a straw man that you would then tear apart later or use it just to compare with your primary. Think of it as a placebo even, just to make sure that your analysis is better. But basically, you need to know how many, how many alternative plans you're considering. Yeah, just to be clear here, we're, we're, and if you go back to some of our previous podcasts on making decisions, this is a tool to be used prior to the decision being made. This is when you have oh, a bunch yeah. of alternatives <laughs> and you're trying to figure out, okay, which one these are going to work better. And you're going to take into account all the stakeholders in the organization. Right. This is not after the decision, obviously. Right. So you've got the number of plans you're considering. You take the number of plans you're considering, multiply it by two and add one. So if you're looking at one plan, your result is three. If you're looking at two plans, your result is five. Whatever your result that you come up with, with that simple math equation, that's the number of columns you're going to need in your chart. And let me add something here before we go much further, because some folks will be listening to this podcast and will not have gone to the website. But on the website, we're going to have an example. And we'll leave it in doc form, right? So they can... Absolutely. They can fuss with it if they want, right? And and that'll be available for all members, not just premium members. So okay, good. Um, 
So anyways, if you haven't, you may want to go to the website, download the document, print it out, and you can just follow along with us. Right. Good. If you're driving, don't, don't, um, don't download it on your iPhone. And No, no. Yeah, not good. Uh, okay. So you've got a certain number of columns you need in your chart, and the number of rows is very easy. The answer is always eight, and that comes from having a header row and then rows for these following stakeholders. Boss, your boss team, which is your team, your peers, customers, vendors, and both customers and vendors could be internal and or external, and then thought leaders. And then you just add an extra one just in case because you may have forgotten somebody and they may be brought up at the last minute and you want to compare, you want to consider their input, even though they're not in that list that we just gave you of um, six keys. Thought leaders are someone who can influence your desired outcome even though it may not be entirely clear, organizationally anyway, that they would exert that influence. And this is the category that a lot of junior managers leave out of their analysis um, to their detriment. Yeah, exactly. So we've created a sample, as Mike mentioned, um, following the guidance for this cast with, with two plans being considered, right? And by the way, for the math, you don't need to add columns or rows for titles or for headers, those are already considered in our simplistic math. So the one on the the one on the website um, says manager tools, simple stakeholders, decision analysis tool. It has five columns because we're looking at two alternatives. So two times two plus one is five. And then it has eight rows. The top row is a header row. And then down the left column, it has boss, team, peers, customers, vendors, thought leaders, and a blank row. And the reason there are two columns for each decision. And and by the way, we choose the word decision at the top of the rows, at the top of the columns for a reason, because it's not choices. Choices are just, do I want to do A or B? Decision is the choice plus the plan plus the action. And I think we've done a cast recently about that. Making a decision that's effective includes the plan and the activity. And actually, as Peter Drucker says, the feedback associated with it. So For each decision, there are two columns, decision one, pro, decision one, con, and then in our sample, decision two, pro, and decision two, con, so you can talk about what you like or what others like and don't like about any one of the things. Sometimes the pros are so huge, you can handle a pretty big con. If all you do is count for pros and you don't talk about cons, um, you're missing an opportunity. So that's pretty simple, right? And then we've got to fill in the tool. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, you sit. You just sit in your office and think about it for an hour and a half. <laughs> fill it all. Yeah, in, wouldn't it be great? You just you create this neat little chart and you make it all pretty and you choose the fonts just right and then you start putting little bullets in the in the uh, in the cells and you get them all lined up just right and you mess with the margins and you get it just so and you change different colors for key you know red for key big cons that are a problem and I mean you really create a beautiful document and you make the decision and you move on. Okay, good. So we're done. <laughs> yeah. As if a pretty document meant for made for good decisions. Right. Um, it doesn't work. Obviously, we we talked about it wouldn't make sense given that we've already decided that this is all about, you know, politics is involved. So that means there are other people involved and you're going to have to go ask them what they think. Right. Yeah. There are three ways you can fill in the tool. Um, the first way is to go ask. And for those of you who are familiar with our pre-wire guidance, this is the perfect time 
before you tell people what your decision will be to ask what they think of the options you're considering. Now, I mentioned this, by the way, to um, somebody I was talking to last night or yesterday afternoon, and they said, oh, you mean I might have to go visit with them twice? <sighs> you know, gosh, that's kind of, you know, I may have to do a pre-wire meeting and then another one, and that's kind of hard. And I was reminded of the the carpenter's adage, which is measure twice, cut once. Um you know, far better to ask for input and then to validate the input later and show them that their input was included than to do it slapdash and then regret it and have three people say, no, I disagree in front of your boss, which doesn't look very good. Yeah. I love this point. First, because by getting other folks input, you're going to reach a better decision. You get a better yes. decision out of it. But secondly, is not only do you get a better decision, you demonstrate to others that you did consider their alternatives rather than just pushing your own interests or agenda. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, there's an interesting unattended consequence of this, right? You get a better decision because you get more smart people talking to you, unless you're bullheaded and that, that could happen or you're you know on a mission. Uh, but there's something else that happens. You are perceived as investing in relationships. You get better relationships out of better decisions and better decisions out of better relationships. Exactly. And, and don't for a second think that if you're a junior manager, that executives aren't judging you on your process as oh, well as your yeah. decision. Yeah. What many of us would call politics th in this situation, this is just simply organizational collaboration. And if you don't do this and then people are asked, hey, did he come talk to you whatever? You may think of yourself as a collaborative person because you send meetings and you're open with ideas and you like to brainstorm with your team and so on. But if you don't staff things, if you don't go out and ask, if you don't pre-wire and maybe pre-wire again in order to find out about a decision, you're not going to be perceived as collaborative. And if you're not perceived as collaborative in the, in the changing organizational, large organizational world that most of us live in today, um, that's going to be a huge strike against you. And it's going to be perceived as an ex executive weakness. Right. Which is dangerous. Okay. Now, we'd absolutely recommend that folks go do this. But if you don't, there's a second, and I'd argue less effective approach, which is to brainstorm with your team. Yeah, it is by definition. And you could, you could do both of them, right? I mean, you could, you can go out and ask all the stakeholders, one of whom, of course, is your team. Um, and then you can brainstorm with your team as well. Although every once in a while, I'm sure the team will disagree with what the stakeholders actually say, which would be, Interesting. No, they're wrong. They don't get it. Yeah. Only occasionally does that happen. Yeah. They'll get to speak for themselves. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. It isn't hard to do, though. This is a 30-minute meeting with your team. If you've got two competing ideas and you've got the stakeholder lines there, it works best if you keep the whole group on one cell at a time on the chart and you spend about a minute on each one. Okay. What are the pros of the boss? What are the, why is the boss going to like this decision? Okay. What are the cons that the boss is going to say about this decision? Or you can even do pros. You could do pro all the pros and all the cons of one. And then all the pros and cons of two, you can go in almost any order, but having everybody focused on one of the cells at a time um, is great. I do think that starting with the team line, if you brought your team together for the brainstorm, will get their juices flowing a little bit either. They won't, they won't have to think outside their box. They'll be able to speak for themselves about what they like and what they don't like. And again, you just spend a minute on each one, and it takes about 30 minutes, and you're done. Good. And then you get to the point you made, right, which is technically you could fill it out yourself. It's a great way to do it. It's, it's, it's <laughs> very efficient. Very efficient. Yeah. Look, don't do it this way. 
And for some of you, we know you will, so we include it, but don't do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good. Okay. And, and then additional stuff. Now, you don't have to do this. There's sometimes you, that this isn't necessary, but it is incredibly powerful when you numericize your tool a little bit. Yeah. This is something that is really, there, there are groups of people who would never think about this. They would think that they're capturing subjective data. And so therefore you can't make it objective. And in fact, everything I know about decision analysis and making good decisions means even subjective stuff can be measured or can be weighted in a way that's helpful. And there are two ways we recommend you do this. Either you can assign relative values to the strength or weakness of, of a particular comment. That's one thing you do. The way it would work is this guy hates this idea, right? Would get a higher con or disagree score, uh, for instance, that someone's saying they don't like this particular part of it. Or the other thing you can do is weight, uh, put weight, attach weights to various stakeholders. Maybe the, the peer stakeholder line is just hugely important. If they say no, you ought not to do anything they say no to. You can either weight them more heavily than everybody else or more heavily than others, or you can weight a certain idea. If the CEO is not on your chart, but the CEO's decision is decision two, or that's the one she likes, then you have to give that extra weight. So you could wait almost any column or any row or any cell at any time. And we've got many, many casts to go regarding decisions. And this is an area we're going to come back to because particularly for the, the people focused managers, they're really surprised about why would I weight it and how do I do the math? I mean, a lot of decision analysis that MBAs go to is about math. And managers who learn it go, God, what's there to do with math? I mean, I, I ask a bunch of people what they think, and then I make a decision, and then I go. Well, the math is about waiting, and uh, and it's valuable. Um, but and executives definitely know how to do it. Yeah, numericizing your tool is a way to add weight to certain data to help you reflect more accurately the impacts or the real results that you may be facing. That on first glance, the chart, the tool doesn't necessarily show that. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Well, our next, our next step, which is our, our bonus item here, I really, really like because we, we get, yeah, lots you did this. You did this. You would say, Hey, look, you, if you're going to be at my level, right? You got to do it the way I do it. And, you know, when you talk to your directs, you'd say, This is what I expect. And to be clear, what we're talking about here is that demand that your directs go through this process and use this tool when they're making recommendations or making decisions. Yep. And what I love about this is we get all the time folks ask us, well, you know, this, this softer stuff, the interpersonal stuff, the collaboration, the influence skills, how do I coach people on, on this? How do I develop them? <laughs> well, this, this is, this is a tool you can use to do that. Now look at, they may get it wrong the first time. They may bring it, this tool to you and have very little data in it, but it becomes the basis for a conversation. Well, have you thought about talking to John? Have you thought about talking to Mary? Have you thought about this particular individual who has a lot of knowledge and happens to be friends with the CEO? Yeah. This is a, just an incredibly valuable tool when it comes to coaching and developing your folks on decision-making interpersonal relationships and influence. Yeah. To me, this is one of those things where the first time the boss says, hey, have you thought about Joe and Bob and Terry? Uh, no. Well, you might want to think about that. And you come back and they write something in themselves, right? And you say, okay, what did Joe and Bob and Terry say? Well, I, I didn't ask them. And that iterative process is always reminiscent to me of our reminder. 
you don't need to send somebody to training to make them an executive. You don't need to have some project-driven development plan for someone. You could coach someone on political skills, and this tool could be a core tool in your coaching of them. And you could say, look, there's something something I need you to make a recommendation to me on, and here's the way I want you to do it, and I want you to go do it. And they come back and say, wow, they really didn't like the idea. Okay, good. How is that going to change your opinion? Well, I don't really want to change my opinion. Well, okay, thanks. And how are you going to change your opinion? And you take people through this process. You don't, you don't have to create new work for someone. You can teach them about leadership and management and executive skills with the work we do every day by giving them a new tool to implement and to have them practice getting better at it and in the process at the end say, okay, what did you learn about politics around here? And they'll say, wow, I didn't realize it, but those guys in IT are really powerful. They've got budget and they said no, and nobody else wanted to do anything until that group said yes. And so I had to rework this whole thing. And, you know, aren't you lucky that you found out before you actually announced that at a board meeting? Yeah. Yeah. And and as a manager, the more your folks understand the need for collaboration and quote unquote politics, the easier your job gets because yeah, you don't have you, to you keep understand, the, uh, explaining this it. This tool reduces conflict for you as a boss right, because exactly. your directs don't go around ticking people off. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what happens. It's not rocket science. And look, it, uh, one way to do this, uh, I had somebody mention this to me once. He said, Mark, the first time I showed him the tool and I said, eh, first time you can just do it yourself. And the second time, I'm going to expect you to bring a brainstorm you know, uh, list with you from your team or your peers or whatever. And then the third time, I'm going to actually ask you to go out and, and do it and ask the, the people in the field, the, the stakeholders, what they think. And each one of those will be an increase in the skills and the toolbox of your directs so that when they get looked at for executive roles, they say, wow, you know, these guys, it's not dramatic over there. They, nobody, nobody gets ticked off at what they do. Everybody seems to know what they're doing. They have good relationships and so on. And so your people get promoted and that helps you. People with more skills getting promoted is better for the organization. Right. And just to be clear, this, the behaviors around this tool are executive behaviors. Yeah. They're not manager behavior. They're, they're executive behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. don't assume that your executives all have one of these in their back pocket. They don't. They just learn this the hard way. It's all in their head. It's hardwired into their role. They know they have to do it and they have to consider things and weigh things and, and balance things. You've got a tool so you can start learning now. This is a simple, elegant tool that makes your collaborations, which are part of your decisions, of course, which make your collaborations more effective and they make your politics more sure-footed. That's why we shared it. Excellent. So quick overview, right? Yeah. We talked about why decisions are political. They are. <laughs> You've got to consider other stakeholders' impacts and opinions. We recommended the simple stakeholder decision analysis tool, the worst naming effort I ever had in my life. And all you do is create the tool. You fill the tool in. There are three ways to do it. We shared the right way to do that. And then we recommended considering numericizing it. And, and then the way you get your folks to be better at your job is you ask them to follow it when they make recommendations to you or they make their own decisions. Simple. Yeah, it is simple, but man, it works. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the best tools are, in fact, simple. Yep. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, partner. Bye. Well, that's it, everyone. Hope you can put that to use and make some more effective decisions in the near future. Before we go, just want to remind folks about our upcoming London Effective Manager Conference and Effective Communications Conference. The Effective Manager Conference will be held on the 20th and 21st in London. And on the 22nd, we're going to have a one-day Effective Communications Conference. 
If you're in London or the nearby area, love to see you there. In the meantime, have a great week. We'll see you next week. So long. So long.